Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning, everyone. How are you this morning? Hope your day has been going well. Wherever you're, whether you're listening on live or uh, on demand. Um, but before we go any further, I just wanted to take a moment. Uh, we sang a song earlier, Lord Send Revival. Lord Send It Now. And the reality, if perhaps you've seen this week, I'm sure that you have the terrible shootings uh, and, and killings of a, of a targeted group of people, of Asian Americans in the, in the U.S. and Atlanta. And it reminds us again of the, the desperate need for God that we have in our world. And it's not an, and it's not an American issue. That particular one was. But uh, I did a little research this week, and there's been a significant uptick since the start of the pandemic uh, in anti-Asian anti uh, violence and hate, hatred and all kinds of things, uh, primarily uh, affecting women 70% of the time in Vancouver. There's been an increase on a percentage. It sounds amazing, but uh, almost 700% increase in, in, in uh, verbal and physical acts of violence uh, towards uh, people from Asia, which would include our Filipino friends, which would include our uh, South Pacific friends, which would include those of you from Thailand, from China, from South Asia, from South India, from uh, Pakistan, wherever that you would be from. And that's a significant number of our church. So number one, I first want to speak to you as part of our church that that we're with you in the middle of all this. If this has affected you in any kind of a way, uh, as we're hearing that it's affecting uh, a lot of people in the lower mainland, um, uh, little old ladies, little old uh, Asian ladies who have been like knocked down and, and kicked and told to go back where they came from, uh, that, kind of, that kind of stuff, people have been spit into the face, not because of they've done anything, but simply because of where they come from. And so, number one, we're with you. And number two, for those of us that are not in that group, uh, it's, it's not a way to say we divide. It's actually say we're, we come together and we acknowledge the pain. And for all of us that are not, we're with you. Uh, and also for each of us to search our own heart and say we might not do something overtly racist, but to examine our own hearts again and just say, God, help us to be a, a one that brings people together, that, that, that shows the love of Jesus to every, everybody that's around us. It's not those people and, and me. It's, it's not they came from there. No, we're, we're here in this nation. And part of what uh, the people of God are to be is to be ones that are ambassadors of peace. And so I'm just going to close in that moment. Number one, to acknowledge it and to acknowledge the seriousness of it. Number two, to tell and to uh, remind everyone that's a part of our church that, that would be a part of that identified group to say that we're with you together. We're in this together. And finally, to acknowledge our own need for God to heal our, ourselves, our families, our nations. I'm going to pray and then we'll go into the rest of our morning. So Lord Jesus, uh, we acknowledge, Lord, that our nation needs you. Lord, this is, at the surface, seems like a racist issue, but it's a sin issue and shows us again our absolute desperate need for you. Lord, that you would come revive our nation. Lord, turn our hearts back to you. Lord, those that are in mourning, Lord, that you would comfort them. Lord, those that are fearing because of where they come from, Lord, or the color of their skin, Lord, we ask you'd surround them with your love and protection. Lord, where we need to repent personally, Lord, I thank you that you will search us and know us. And Lord, I pray that you would, in 
all of this, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just highlighting again, Lord, how desperately we need you. How desperately we need you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, well, we're going to continue on in our series, and I don't know how to transition, so I just will. Uh, in, in the book of Nehemiah, uh, which is we've been doing for the last number of weeks, this is week six, and uh, it's a great series about rebuilding, and in a season where a lot has been moved away from us and, and broken around us, that we're reminded of our ability to rebuild as the people of God. And so we start with, uh, I remind, I was thinking of this morning and I re reminded of a number of years ago where I went on a hike with a group of other people together to the north part of Vancouver Island to a place called Cape Scott. Beautiful hike. It's about 16 or 17 kilometers one way. And uh, I went, I wasn't properly prepared. I wore running shoes instead of hiking boots and all kinds of stuff. And along the way, I really twisted my ankle really, really badly. And, but I made it to the end of the trip and I thought, well, it'll be better tomorrow. And, and then uh, it's so isolated, miles and miles from anywhere, any road. And I was like, what am I going to do? And uh, I let, just thought, let it kind of rest for a day and we we're waiting. And then I realized it's not, that's the second day. It's not getting any better. In fact, it's getting more and more swollen. And uh, so it was late, probably around eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, nearing dark. A couple of our guys that were with us, young men, uh, they ran about eight kilometers to the lighthouse at the end of the Cape uh, to, to ask for help to come. And in the dark, they went, put their headlamps on and went to rescue uh, me, ran and came back. At the, so 16 kilometers in one night simply because they were with me and uh, they didn't want me to uh, get in any further danger or become cougar bait. Uh, so... Uh, they, and, and an air ambulance was called in, in fact. The next day, an, ambul an, air, an helicopter lands on the beach, and, and I get in, and everybody throws their tents in with me so they wouldn't have to carry them and everything. And, we, and I was taken to Port Hardy and was examined and everything, and, and I was okay. Uh, but I was so glad in that moment that I was together. Uh, I was together with other people, because it would have been really difficult with, uh, with by myself. And in a way... I had not expected the journey to be like that. I'd started out expecting it to go well. And uh, through some fault of my own, through just walking the path, I ended up getting quite injured. And I think that's, uh, it reminded me a little bit of how this last year has been, a little 12, 12 months now, where things happened that we did not expect. There were things that were challenging. We can't ignore that it was an incredibly challenging year. Uh, where we seemingly twisted our ankle unexpectedly and it's affected the way we've walked and been able to live. And after I twisted that ankle, it took me some time to, to get it back to, to normal, many, many months. And I look over this past year and how it's been really challenging for some of us uh, to maintain our closeness in our marriage. There's some who have experienced incredible financial challenges. There are young people, university students that might be finding it difficult to, to hold on to their faith in the middle of when uh, many others are deconstructing theirs, as it were. Older adults who have had to live under isolation and, and not being able to see family sometimes for weeks and months at a time. Isolation leading to addiction 
relapses, difficult to stay hopeful and optimistic when you haven't been able to work for months, as I've talked to someone in our church, in a hospitality interest, in industry, I should say, and hasn't been able to work because of all the restrictions for a long, long time. And so all these things, and maybe I didn't mention your exact uh, issue or thing that you've had to kind of wrestle through or grapple through, but it's been, can be difficult to stay strong in the middle of challenging seasons. It can be difficult to keep your equilibrium when the, the winds of, of change that are not good, evil change in many cases, are blowing hard against you. It can be difficult to push ahead when there's so much that seems to be pushing against us on, on the front of there's incredible racial tension in some places, political division. Uh, you're going to get canceled if you don't agree with a certain thing that people think, and that's on the big level, and then all of our stuff that we're each dealing with ourselves. But so for me, this whole series is about how are we going to become what God's created us to come in the reality of the world that we've lived in? Because the world that we lived in even 12 months ago has drastically changed. And, and you can say, well, I hope everything goes back to normal. And I hope it will to a certain extent. But there are some things that have fundamentally changed with how we're viewed as people of God, the way that we're going to move forward in so many of these areas for we're throwing off the, the reins or not the reins, we're fully throwing off the boundary lines, I should say, around sex and sexuality in just such a rapid way that we're, we're going into uncharted territory without really thinking it through, without really having good conversations, because if you have a conversation, you're hateful. There's so many things that are incredibly challenging right now. And Nehemiah, uh, for me, really exemplified somebody who was able in the midst of devastation to build and to rebuild and to, even though it happened 2,500 years ago, he so models a way to live in a, in a culture that had been absolutely broken down and build it back, rebuilding it to what God intended it and not building it to some new world order thing, but rebuilding the, their life and their future together so that God's kingdom could come and God's will would be done on earth as it was in heaven. And so we're picking up the story Shanda talked last week. If you haven't listened to the rest of the series, I encourage you to do that. You can find it on our YouTube channel or at horizonfam.ca. But we came to the end of chapter six a week ago. So, and it says this, the wall was completed. And on the 25th of Elu, which is a month in a Jewish calendar, and get this, in 52 days, the wall around a city was completed in 52 days, not by professionals, but by people working together. And after those 52 days, it says this, that when all in Nehemiah 6 and 16, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. A new era had begun. There was a new normal in town. They had done things that were difficult, that were right in front of them, that God had called them to. God had worked on their behalf. He had shown himself strong for them and a new normal. They had gone from devastation to being a walls rebuilt, gates hung, things settled, the enemy being pushed back. A new era, a new normal, if you will. But what had enabled this to happen? As I looked at back in, the, in those incredible 52 days where they had pushed through personal challenges, their own insecurities, their, their lack of training in certain areas, their anxiety, incredible opposition, hate coming at them, hatred and lies, all, all this happening. But in 52 days, why were they able to see such incredible things happen for them and through them? 
And as I looked over the, the book of Nehemiah, as I've read it over the last uh, month, it has shown again a simple theme flowing through the entire book of Nehemiah that is instructive for us and helpful for us and hopeful for us. And it's found in, in uh, I didn't read it there, Nehemiah 7, 73 to verse, or chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together. Somebody say together. Even if you're in the room, I can see you. Say together as one in the squares before the water gates. But what had enabled this to happen? It was this simple theme of together. And like me with my sprained ankle, unable to move forward alone, the people around me came in, that came together around me and helped me so that I could step into the next step so I could come well and, and be what God had called me to be and not be left on the beach as cougar bait. Together. To gather, to collect as people, not just in one place, but in one heart, in one spirit. Although this book carries one man's name, Nehemiah, it's the story of a people working together. Lots, there's, as you go through the book and read it, you'll see there's lots of we and lots of us and lots of together, not a ton of just I and me, but a lot of we will clean up the rubbish of the past. We will work together with whatever skills we have, with whatever abilities we have, with whatever resources we have. We'll work together to rebuild the wall. We will put up, uh, when we're discouraged, we're going to pray together. When the enemy comes at us, at any one of us, we're coming at him together. And when we work together, God does incredible things in us and through us that are simply not possible by ourselves. And Jesus uh, highlighted that in Matthew 18 or Matthew 16 and verse 18. He said, I will build my church. That's my people. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the together people of God move things forward that are impossible alone. And we are together Instead of being afraid of the enemy, the enemy, I love what that 6 and 16 says. Instead of me being afraid of the enemy or you being afraid of the enemy, the enemy loses his confidence because we are so together that the enemy is being pushed back in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in whatever space and place that we're in when we do it together. Psalm 133, written by David, where it says this, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. There's that word together. And there the Lord has pronounced the blessing, even life everlasting. Together leads to an atmosphere that's wonderful. Together leads to an atmosphere that's pleasant. Together leads to an atmosphere of faith where anything is possible. Together leads to an atmosphere where God commands his blessing, not just on a group, but on an individual because you're part of the group. Because there's more that can happen on you, not because of who you are, but because of of who you are a part of. Because when you stand together, the blessing of God is commanded on us that's more than just on us individually. A place of great blessing, a place where people experience that anything is possible because of we are working and standing together. That's what Nehemiah reminds us together how important together is. In Ecclesiastes, it goes on, another book, one of the wisdom literature just after Psalms. It says this, two are better than one. 
because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Look what together does. More is accomplished. It pulls people out of ditches. It warms up cold people with love and community and empathy. It defends one another. We've got each other back. So it's no wonder that the enemy hates together. That's why he fights against friendships. That's why he fights against marriages. That's why he fights to divide families. That's why he fights to divide churches. Because he knows that when we work together, these are the kind of things that happen. And the whole book of Nehemiah is about an enemy trying to stop a people. But like the people of Nehemiah, can we be a together people? Can we be a people that love and live in unity? Can we be a family that is a miracle experiencing, ditch pulling, warming up people, hell disturbing group of people, seeing the best in others, believing the best for others, the people that are so for each other that we come together so that we can see the miraculous happen that we desperately want to, so that we can see God's blessing touch your life, touch your family, touch your workplace, so that we can come together, so that even more of the impossible becomes possible together. There are simply things that don't happen by yourself that can only happen together. And the enemy hates us experiencing the sustaining life moving force of God, the miracle working power of God, the transforming power of God. He hates your family. He hates your marriage. He hates your unified church. What a season though, that it's been difficult to be together. Not just, not just physically, but together. Instead of together, this past season has led in many ways to cause you, to cause me, to cause us to drift apart. Sometimes just because of time and space. Sometimes because we're disappointed, we're frustrated, we're irritated. We're all fighting our own challenges and sometimes we're not aware of what the challenges are around us and we Maybe we're just exhausted. Maybe you're frustrated with someone hasn't reached out to you or like you thought that they would. Perhaps things were said that shouldn't have been said. Perhaps things were done that shouldn't have been done. Perhaps things should have been done that weren't done. And we're all in these spaces where it's so easy to take offense and break together. And this is not a people, this is not a church issue. This is a people issue. This is a humanity issue. Even what we talked about at the beginning is that the enemy is ever trying to drive a wedge between people, trying to drive a wedge between races, trying to drive a wedge in a nation, trying to drive a wedge between churches, because he knows that when a people come together under God, that anything is possible for them and through them. It's so easy to take offense. And let's be honest though, that the root of most offense is hurt. It's pain. Someone's been hurt. You can call it disrespected. You can call it embarrassed. You can call it alienated, isolated, demeaned, diminished, whatever you want. It was hurtful. And if someone's angry though, anger is typically not the issue. It's the one you see, but anger lets us know that it's the fruit that reminds us that there's a root of pain. Anger is like that light on your dash that shows out that there's something under, underneath it all going on, a deeper issue. And sometimes we don't even realize how much of a fence between people we have built because we've chosen of offense. It's so easy for an offense to become a fence. 
that comes in between us in our relationships, in our families, in our church, in our, rela- in our marriages. And I just want to show you how easy it is to build a fence of offense. It starts with hurt and then we, we form a, be, starts with hurt and then we begin to form a false belief about that person. It could be something like this, where we start to think they don't like me, they don't respect me, they don't value me, they think I'm stupid, they're an idiot, they're a useless leader, whatever it might be. They're, my wife isn't for me, she's not good, I don't know why she's doing that. And we start to have a false belief about the person that's offended us. And then we move into an agreement with that belief and we start to think that it must be true because of what we've experienced. And we start to see it in everything. Every interaction with that person is filtered through this belief. We see it in everything that they do. See, there it is again. See, there it is again. And we start to see it because we believe that which causes our belief to deepen and it becomes entrenched into a mindset. We start anticipating instead of coming open because we've had an offense and we've built a fence between us, we start anticipating problems every time we come in and interact with them. And then finally we make a vow. Say things like this, I will not engage with them. I'll tell everyone what an idiot they are. I'm going to quit my marriage. I'm going to quit my church. I'm going to quit my relationship. I'm going to fire my worker. I'm going to withdraw and not expose myself to any more pain. And withdrawing and stepping back and isolating and anger and anything but together. The offense you take at them actually offenses you in. Our offense actually becomes offense that imprisons us. So easy to build a fence of offense. But we so value what God can do with us together that we refuse to let offense become a fence between us individually. I want to give you four quick options to tear down the fence of offense. Number one, you might try this one. You might vent it. I think that's our most common response in our culture today. It's what we're taught is the way we do it, whether it's on social media, wherever it is. Venting is not a spiritual gift. You will hear that from me over and over again. And because very easy, we find it easier to condemn than to connect. We have veiled posts about someone. We heap judgments about how the way that someone treated us. We seek validation. We shouldn't have been treated that way. We make passive aggressive comments. And sometimes it's because it's the only pattern we know and we don't even know that there's another way. But humility is the currency of community. Humility is how we have together. Humility is how we have community. It's what we pay to get, if in that sense, we pay with humility and we receive a close community of together. You can vent it. Some people might, that's the only way that you've done. The only time, very, very rare that to take it, to talk it out with someone who's going to give you wise counsel, not just agree with why you're upset, but it's going to give you wise counsel to help get out of that. Because simply venting never leads anywhere good. Proverbs 16 and 28 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates, that's the opposite of together, the best of friends. It separates marriages. It separates workplaces. It separates families. It separates races. We so value what God can do with us together that we refuse to let an offense become offense between us.
So you can vent it or you can drop it. It's another option. We're perpetually offended today. I'm not talking about overlooking. When I talk about dropping, I'm not talking about overlooking abusive or criminal behavior. But we get offended so easily. You might post, I like apples. And someone will comment on it. What? You don't like oranges? What about papayas? I think those fruits are important too. Why haven't you acknowledged them? Come on. can't believe that you're so ignorant, Craig. And you can't see that there are more fruits than apples. Proverbs 19 and 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It's one's glory to overlook an offense. Say out loud, I'm overlooking it. I'm overlooking it. And we're obviously not talking about something abusive or illegal or dangerous. That's an offense. But I'm talking about the kind of things that just tripped you up, the irritants of light. Sometimes we just can't take ourselves so seriously. We got to be a little less easily offended. Step back a bit. Give somebody the grace that you hope that's given you. Everybody's going to blow it sometime. Everybody's going to say the wrong thing at some time. Somebody's going to do the wrong thing. Sometimes though, the best response is not to vent, but it's to let it go. If you want to put it, put on frozen and say, let it go. Because we so value what God can do with us together that we refuse to let an offense become offense between us individually. I'm overlooking it. But sometimes you can't and shouldn't overlook it. The issue is hurting the person, hurting you, and hurting others. So what do you do when, when someone has hurt you? Go to the one that hurt you. Matthew 18, Jesus said this, if your brother or sister sins against you, go. Where? Not to somebody else. Go and point out the fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. We go to them just between the two of you and point out their fault. Why do we do that? Because they might not know. They might not know. I can't tell you how many times I've offended and hurt my wife and I had no idea. I am that dumb sometimes. I don't know, but I couldn't fix. And we have this discussion. I said, I can't read your mind. I didn't know it was hurtful. Well, you should, but I didn't. So you need to tell me. It's because sometimes I'm just that dumb. No idea. Secondly, why do we do go to the person? Because there's a fault that needs to be corrected, not a person that needs to be condemned. There's a fault that needs to be corrected, not a person that needs to condemn. So our goal is so that they can deal with the issue that's causing problems. Because at the end of it all, we want to win a re- we want to win win a relationship, not an argument. So we go to the one that hurt us. Ninety nine percent of the time, if you go to the person, it'll be taken care of there. But if they don't listen or respond, bring somebody else because the goal is together because we so value what God can do with us together that we refuse to let an offense become offense between us in our marriages, in our churches, in our workplaces, wherever it is. So go to the one number four, go to the one that you hurt. Therefore, if you are offering your gift, Jesus says at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Did you notice something? If you did something to someone, you go to them. If you did some, if somebody did something to you, you go to them. We're, there's no you. There's no them, I should say. It's me. If I'm aware of it, I got to deal with it. If I'm the one that did it, I've got to deal with it. If I know someone's done something against me, I've got to deal with it because my response is my 
responsibility. And this passage is an incredible picture of how highly God values together. He actually redirects this person away from worship of Jesus to reconciliation with people. Yeah, but my hands are raised. The guy is literally walking into the service and God reminds him of something. He stops right there and says, I'm going to text that person. I'm going to call them. I'm going to FaceTime them because Jesus is redirecting us from worship of him to reconciliation with them. And then come back to worship. Maybe you've hurt someone unintentionally. I don't know if that's, we, it's easy when we know we did something, but sometimes we do it unintentionally. Sometimes we think they shouldn't be all hurt. They should be bigger than that. When our kids were little, they would have wrestling and they would do things with pillow fight and somebody in, invariably gets hurt. So we'd say to the person that hurt them, hey, apologize to your sister, but I didn't mean to do it. That's not the point. You hurt them. And so he apologizes and takes ownership of my action hurts you. And I, even if I didn't mean to, I still acknowledge that. And we, in our family, and I hope it's helpful for you, we talk about the nine most powerful, powerful words for every relationship. I am sorry, three words. I was wrong, three words. Please forgive me. I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. So I go to the one that I hurt and I acknowledge no justification, Lots of humility, owning my part, leaning into acknowledging that the pain that I've caused, because I want to tear down the fence of offense. Venting doesn't help. Sometimes you just need to drop it and let it go. Sometimes you need to go to the person that hurt you. Sometimes you need to go because you know you hurt someone. We so value what God can do with us together that we refuse to let an offense become a fence between us. Maybe you have to let it go. All of this, though, requires the power of the Holy Spirit because we are built to take offense. Oh, I'm justified. Help us, Holy Spirit, to let it go. Help us to go and deal with it, whether that, whatever the reason, and tear down the fence. You might need to take your pain to Jesus first where you cast all your care on him and ask him to help you and begin the process of healing. I'm going to pray and for those of us that maybe have been offended for various reasons, maybe for actual reasons that are offensive, I'm going to pray for you that God's going to help you, help us, help me. I've had to do that in this last season had conversations that were not easy, and, but they were necessary because I so value what God can do with us together that I refuse to let offense of offense come between us individually. You might need to let it go. And perhaps you recognize that you're not right with God and that there is a fence of sin between you and God. You've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life and you know that that, that sin offends God and is it like a fence between you. The beautiful thing is all you have to do is say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come into my life and lead my life. Just surrender your life to him. Repent 
And he comes and breaks down the fence. He comes and breaks down the wall of separation between us and him. He's so good. And in moments like this, whether you're a person that's dealing with offense, whether you're a person coming, surrendering your life to Jesus right now, we need the help of heaven. I'm going to pray and then we're going to turn it over to our friends in the post show. But Lord Jesus, we acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. Lord, if we're going to be a church that changes a nation, that changes uh, our city, Lord, first of all, let, let your spirit change us, that we will not hold on to offense, that we will not hold on to bitterness, that we will not hold on to unforgiveness. But Father, we acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you to let it go, Lord Jesus, to deal with and have courage to, to go to people and talk and, and work our way through situations, because Lord, we so need you to do more through us together than we could ever do individually. So help us, Lord, to tear down fences of offense. And Lord, for those that have acknowledged that they, they're, they're, they're not right with you, Lord, I pray as we acknowledge, Lord, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you that you, in your power, come and tear down the offense, uh, that, that offense of sin that stands between us and you, and you welcome us, and you forgive us, and you draw us near to us, and transformation happens in our lives. And so, Lord, whether we're working through things, whether we're surrendering to you uh, for the very first time, we acknowledge we need you. Help us, Lord, to be a together church, a church that moves in power, a church that, uh, and a people, Lord, families that are coming together, marriages that are being restored, workplaces that are, are, are being healed. Lord, that we acknowledge that we need you. Come, help us to come together to tear down every Offense of offense, in the strong name of Jesus, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.